ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. From some of the best elk hunters in the world. Across the canyon, pop up the other side and the wind is right at my back and blows right into it. I cut him off and say, I'm the best one, not you. I love it, man. I feel like I'm super blessed to call myself an elk hunter. To beat them at their game, to get them within that bow range, convincing them that I'm one of them. you got to close that distance really quick on him. And if he's going to engage that much, that's a dead bull. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast. Sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. Whether you're chasing bugles over the next ridge, sitting a stand out east, this is about passion. Pursuing our dreams of field, our lifestyle, the betterment of self and community, the enlightenment that comes from those moments spent in God's creation. Through these conversations, I hope you find insight, inspiration, education, and motivation to push beyond your limits. Bringing in the new year. With my buddy, my brother Joe Gillia, Elk Bros Happy fame. Happy New Year! Happy New Year, my brother. <laughs> you betcha, man. Oh, well, that's you know we we've, we've said that probably five or six times since uh since the New Year. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely, man. So, man, I want to jump on and uh and kick off uh this 2022 Wapiti Wednesday session with you, man, and and just kind of go through. You know what Elk Bros has coming up. Uh, I want to talk about the base camp um, uh-huh. and and a few other things. Right, it, it's that time of year, and we kind of talked about it a little bit. There's lulls uh, in people's preparation, uh, and then there's guys that and gals that got their bows, you know, for Christmas and got their gear and they're ready to get after it. And there's some startup things um, that they should be looking at early on, right? For for the new elk hunter um, or even you know the folks that that maybe have been doing it and what should we be doing right now type stuff. So um, why don't we kick it off, man? And what does Elk Bros have coming up for the new year? Oh, so, <laughs> you know, actually, I think the hardest part for us is defining a lot of that because we have so many things that have developed along the way and, you know, so many different levels of what we can do. Um, and defining that and taking those branches. I mean, we had, we had this real cool thing go on with hunt wars. So that's like in the pot stewing, uh, we've got our, 
<laughs> we've got our grunt tube that is in the makes and that's been a frustrating process, but in something that I've never dealt with before. I mean, you're talking to a retired teacher coach, man. And now I'm developing products and, and doing production and manufacturing. And so that whole process has been something we're taking a look at actually doing one of our own elk calls, um, out there, you know, our camo is to have, I mean, we've got like, dude, all we keep doing is just having fun. It's like, wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be cool? And we're just heading off into all these directions. And, and really some of it is starting to define us and some of it is starting to, you know, develop our focuses for us and helping to melt who and what we are, because this whole process guy was all about wanting to teach and coach other people how to become successful elk hunters. That was bottom line. And, you know, when we developed the podcast, I, I think you and I started pretty much pretty close to about yeah. the same amount of time, I right? So. I know you guys are a year behind. Yeah, are yeah. we? A year, yeah, year behind, behind. You, right? And uh, so, you know, when we started this whole process of doing this, it just became its own little animal. And the people we've gotten to know yourself and all these guys in the industry and different ones, it's, it's now we're looking for the first time down the line of, you know, we're trying to get in involved with uh, mountain archery fest, you know, uh, been, been working with Brandon, talking with Brandon. He's really excited, wants us to be involved because he wants that education factor there. He wants that value with it. And that's right up our alley. So now we're like taking a look at where that's going to happen. Uh, we're wanting to do some of our own camps. We're taking a look at that. We'd actually like to have a physical presence someplace where we can do that. And we've got all kinds of cool ideas about that where people could come in and, and they actually get trained on how to elk hunt in the physicality part of it. You know, and I don't mean like what, um, Dan's doing physicality. I mean, like, boots on the ground, us right there, us on their shoulder, doing the actual calling, being in the woods, talking about scenarios, setting it up, you know, uh, and I threw an idea out to Brennan, you know, like he, he talked about, you mentioned the elk calling competitions, but I mean, dude, I'd really like to see that not just be one person. I'd like to see that be a partner elk calling competition where, you know, you can actually develop scenarios and play off those scenarios and learn how to communicate and do that types of thing. Or, you know, even in setup movements. I mean, there's so many cool things that you can teach and coach people. And I, and I just get real excited about all that. And my head starts going with all these ideas, man. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so, you know, for us in, in coming up in this year, really taking a look at like the guys want to do something where we bring somebody in to hunt with us in our camp and uh, have a competition or contest for Grinder to be able to do something like that. So um, there's a lot in the works, a lot of it that's being, you know, thrown around. Um, we're talking about getting together now as a group, you know, and, and having those conversations, talk about where we're going to take this as a, as, as a business as well, you know, because, you know, we did all this because we love to hunt and we want to make sure that, you know, we are still having our hunting opportunities. And I mean, that has had to change a little bit over the years. So, uh, we got some great podcasts right here at the beginning of the year we're coming out with because, you know, like you're focusing right now, you got me on talking about elk hunting. I mean, we get so many people that 
are right now at this time of year, their big questions are, especially if they'd never done this before, is, I mean, I, we had one the other day. How do you even pick a state to start hunting elk? I mean, and you think about that. I mean, for you, for me that have done it, you know, um, this last year was the first year our group, myself, had ever hunted outside of New Mexico. You know, so I can see these people that are having these questions on where in the heck do I start? You know, you know, how do I even think about doing that? So, you know, I have, um, we lined out, <laughs> we actually we were supposed to have Mark on the show, Mark Live say, and uh, who has an incredible, you know, online course. And we were going to have him on and we were going to hit, what is it that those things that we look at, what are those attractions? Because I think, I think a lot of people go about that process again, backwards. I mean, if you've ever done, if you've done our base camp, if you've done our elk camp, you kind of see where I do things in a different mode. You know, like I don't, our pyramid is turned completely upside down from most people's pyramid. So in this process of deciding where you want to hunt, where do you start? I think a lot of people, they're so busy, like thinking about, okay, what state do I hunt in? And then what unit do I hunt in? And they start looking at it. And I kind of compare it to a puzzle. My wife likes to do puzzles. You can dump all those frigging pieces out on the table. And if you don't have that end picture of what it's supposed to look like, it just looks like a thousand daggum pieces on the table. And you're like, man, where do I start with this? You know, but when you have that end picture and you have a color and you can kind of look and compare that to that end picture, you kind of have an idea. Now, when you have that one piece, you've just eliminated, you know, 900 and some pieces and you have an idea where to put that. Right. So that's kind of how I look at that process of where to find elk. And that's what our, what we're doing right now is um, right now in the camp, what's getting ready to come out in our base camp is our module on finding elk. And the way I do that is, you know, there's a lot of different phases to a hunt. You know, you got your planning phase, you got your preparation phase, you got your scouting phase, you know, you have all of these different phases in your actual hunting phase. Well, when I take a look at finding elk, basically you look at three of those, you have your you're planning. That's where you're deciding on your state. That's where you're um, uh, trying to decide on what hunt unit, what tags you're going to go for and, and things like that. That's your, that, that planning preparation part of it early on. Right. Uh, and then you have what I call the scouting phase and there's two types of scouting. I mean, how many hours do, do you spend on a computer looking at an area? Not much anymore. Um, really? Yeah. Because you and, have your spot. Well, it's not necessarily a spot, right? I, I have I have states I want to hunt, right? Uh -huh. and, and I found early on that I need to simplify that process. Mm -hmm. I used to pick deer units here at home, and I would literally put a map up. I would get a dart or whatever. I would mm -hmm. close my eyes, and I would throw it at it. And that's the right. unit that I was hunting this year. Um, and, and I think – 
like all, all, everything is fine and good. Right. And we have tons of resources, but I think to a point we get so bogged down with the minutia that mm-hmm. we set ourselves up for a little frustration. Um, and we go topsy turvy when we're just looking to begin the process. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say simplicity, right? If you have, if you have three States you want to hunt, just start with those three states and, and figure out how you're going to narrow those three states down. If that means opportunity, over-the-counter tag, or if you have points somewhere, that's where, in my head, that's where I'm starting, right? I got X amount of points in Wyoming. I got X amount of points in, you know, New Mexico, and I have no points but an OTC or 100% draw in this state on, you know, a limited, um, a limited unit. That's where you're going to go. You know, you're going to be in one of those three. You're not going to. But but see, where you're at, you're an experienced dude. You already have points. You're already looking at states. You already have that there. But a lot of these guys that are wanting to come elk hunt for the first time, and a lot of people only have one elk hunt opportunity. They're only looking at one state. That's going to be their elk hunt for the year, right? And then a lot of these dudes that have, they have zero clue on that. I have zero points. I don't, I don't have points in any state and I don't even want to start that. I think the only reason I even thought about maybe getting one is in, in Colorado, you can open up some limited entry areas with zero or one. Right. So it's not something major, but it's not something that like, I have zero desire to go that 16 year route of getting points. And, and, and I have zero desire for that. And, and for people that are coming in, that have no clue about that. And then they're saying, okay, so where do I start? How do you pick a state? Well, you already had it for you. It was already like, okay, I have points. So I'm going to look at that. state. No, when my first year, I didn't have anything. I didn't have, any, right. I didn't have any points. And I looked at so, it and said, where can I go? It, it, there you go. <laughs> and and that's, that right there is actually the first way to decide what state you're going to hunt is, what state can you hunt, right? And it's like, okay, so that means basically, <laughs> my Siri just went off. <laughs> it, it never answers when I ask it something. And then when I'm talking to somebody, it starts. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, for example, what states can I either, it, it depends. Are you going to go private? You're going to go public, Right. All right. If if you're going to go private, you have a lot more opportunities than if you're going to go public, because if you're going to go public, that means you either got to go over the counter or you got to get in a draw. And if you're going to get in a draw in most states, because a lot of states are I mean, you take a look at New Mexico. Right. If you are not in an outfitter pool, you have an eight percent chance of drawing because only eight percent of those tags are going to go out. So you don't have an you know, you probably don't even have an 8% chance, man, when you start putting everything in there, right? So you're either going to be in the draw, you're going to be over the counter. So if you're going to go on public land, to me, that means OTC or in a draw that you need zero points. And when you start going OTC, really start taking a look at the state you can do that. And okay, Idaho is a state that you can go OTC, right? If if you want to basically stay in a draw process all day long on a computer to try to get a tag there. Took me 11 minutes. 
(laughs) (laughs) 11 minutes this year, man. (laughs) You suck. I saw people posting and they were like, I'm 11,000th in line. I'm 21,000th in line. And I'm like, (laughs) 27,000th. I mean, yeah. I was, man, I was 1162 and I was 11 minutes to walk down that little, that little digital hallway that they have you pacing across as it's going. (laughs) I've heard stories about people that were in there and, and were getting ready to be up and then lost their connection. They got kicked and then they go back on and they're like 17,000, you know, in line and stuff like that. I mean, so you have something like that. Yes. You have the opportunity to get an OTC tag. And, and here's the other thing is even after that draw was completed, there were tags that were available that if all you want to do is hunt out, you can get one of those tags. And the reason that, go ahead. I didn't want to cut you off, but you just said it right there. If you just want to hunt elk, if you're anyone that just Mm -hmm. wants to get after elk, especially that first year, second year student, if you will, just Mm -hmm. go hunt elk. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter. If the state has elk, you have an opportunity. What you do in preparation and in homework and in edification before September is what's going to determine whether you're in that, you know, 10% club or not, right? Well, yeah, Just go you hunt elk. It, you can take it exactly the opposite way. You can take people to get the most primo tag there is in an area because of the amount of people that are in it or the amount of animals that are in there or the bull to cow ratio. And they can go, it's kind of like this. I kind of look at it as going to college. You know, really, it doesn't matter what college you go to if you're after an education, because you're going to go work your butt off and you're going to get an education. I mean, I, you can go to Stanford or MIT and piss that away, or you can go to a local, you know, local community college and get a heck of an education because that's what you want to do. There's a lot of people that can be in the best elk hunting unit there is, but because they have not done their homework, because they haven't worked at, because they haven't developed their skill set and they don't understand the animal, they're not going to be in that 10%, bro. It's not going to happen. Or you can go into some of these units. And, and I, I tell people this, the unit that I began hunting in was, uh, it was a five to 8% unit and killed every year. Right. Well, that means there were a lot of the people that were going in there that weren't for various, various reasons. But if there's elk in an area and you know what you're doing and you work at it, you can kill elk. Yeah. Right. And if you're playing a point game and not just going in hunting elk, you won't have that opportunity in front of you. Absolutely. Yeah. And I am just not a fan of the whole point game thing, man. I, this stuff of number one, having to buy a license that you might not use in the first place, you know, that it, to me, I'm sorry, ma'am, but I, I, I don't understand myself, the legality of it. <laughs> I just don't, man. It's like, it's to me, it's almost like extortion. You know, it's, <laughs> it, I I'm mean, sorry. It, but. If you look at the revenue driver there for states, though, yes. I mean, it's unfair, right? Um, yes. We're blue collar. You know what I mean? Yep. Like that, that $150 for a non-res tag, that means something. Right. Yep. And it's painful, painful. Right. And, and there's planning and there's preparation. If you want to do this, that that goes into it. But, man, it it's hard, dude. Last year, I applied to a state in March with and you have to pay full. 
pay in full, right? right? Paid in March. I didn't see money until June. And I didn't get drawn. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? $1,500. You're paid in full. So that that time, that money is sitting, um, and, and I can't do anything. And then I can't apply anywhere else when you're in a situation right. like that, right? And and for me, I don't – like, I love Wyoming. That's, that's why I'm willing to do it. Um, and I have a vendetta. But I don't dig – 20% allocation, I'm paying 1500 bucks. It's sitting for months. And then I'm getting, I think it's a 9% or 15% that you don't get back on that money. It's it's yeah. a draw fee, right? Well, it's yeah. like, well, wait a minute. You just sat on my money for X amount of months. You know what I mean? You oh, yeah. Look at yep. all the people that are putting that money in and waiting on that draw. I know mean, it's, it's an, it's an investment feed for man. And, and what I don't understand about it is, is that, you know, it takes them, it takes them what, two weeks to draw the residents, but it's taken four or five months to, to draw the nons, well, you know? So. Yeah, I think part of that too was they, they were saying for the non-resident that they wanted to, because they were basing it on uh, rough numbers and they wanted to complete their surveys prior to resident mm -hmm. draw. But I don't know how you can allocate tags without having those numbers. So if you're, if folks are putting in and they're over the tag allocation, like way, way over, like I want to know what the tag allocation is for residents, what the number of those tags is going to be before I let you sit on my $1,500. That might be keeping me from a hunt in Idaho or a hunt in New Mexico. I don't know really, but um, I don't know no New Mexico <laughs> points. <laughs> um, you no, know what I yeah, mean? It's no just, point system in New Mexico, man. Yeah, so yeah, that's true. true. That's true. It's, a, it's the only true lottery. True lottery. Um, yeah. It, it's hard to look at it, right? And and I hear what you're saying, but it's hard to look at it from a new guy's perspective. And for me, I'm in the big scheme of things in the in the L game, I'm green. Right. It's what you know, what you put into it is what you get out of it type thing when it comes to learning these areas, um, trying to understand the draws and all that. But I'm going to go back to what I said. Simplify it. Like if you just want to go hunt elk and, and hunting yeah. elk is your goal, then find the easiest tag in the easiest unit on the state that you can spend the least amount of money getting to and go mm -hmm. hunt that SOB. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, you look at the success rate and that tells you a little bit there. You know, and yeah, there's guys that go and, you know, they'll jump on base camp and get their edification and work their butt off because they're following, you know, you said Dan earlier and, and you know, his thousand box steps or his hour of box steps and they're physically uh -huh. fit and ready to go. Um, but man, simplifying the process because there's so much more that you should be focused on in, in preparation for season, uh, in my opinion, than three or four months of figuring out what unit you're going to put in for. I mean, it's time consuming and I've been that guy and I've recently been that guy and it takes away. I mean, it's hours. It's hours, dude. I was so deep into it that I could, I had a spreadsheet of percentages of the likelihood of me getting the, getting the tag. And then the percentage of the likelihood of me, Erwin Elk. I mean, it just but isn't isn't some of that like the courting process, though. And I mean, like uh, some guys just really I, like if they knew they were going hunting, man, it's just like kind of like the thing they want to do. They want to kind of they enjoy that part of the process. I, I, guess. I do. But but my point is, if you know where you're going, do that mm -hmm. after. 
right? Simplify the process and don't don't get wrapped up in the draws and points and, you know, uh, you got to get wrapped up in the money. You got to understand your finance. Um, but I think we should just settle back a little bit and just say, hey, I want to go hel- hunt elk because ultimately that's what we want to do. If you don't get the draw tags, guess what you're going to do? You're going to find right. the first OTC tag. And you're going to go in that unit and hunt it. So it goes to that don't pass up today, which you would shoot on the last day, right? If you're Mm going to grab the OTC tag anyway, I'm not saying don't shoot for the shoot for the uh, stars to hit the moon. But if it's early, just simplify it, you know, go work on the game. I know guys that were like, oh, I didn't draw that unit, so I'm not going to elk hunt this year. And it's like, bro, (laughs) you just missed your first year based on a freaking tag. Like there's Absolutely. opportunity and you're not, yeah. I, I appreciate everything that's available, right? I use damn near all of it to this day, but I am not going to not go and hunt based on a freaking tag and the best experience and best education is boots on the ground, period. Well, that's, that's why we were in Colorado this last year because we couldn't draw in New Mexico and we're not going to miss a season. Dude, I just turned 60 years old, man. You know, uh, I'm in my mind, I'm not 60. I keep, I keep going. It's so funny because I guide guys all the time, you know, and, and uh, I always ask them, so how old is this guy, you know? And they're like, well, he's 60. I'm like, oh man, I don't know if he's going to be, and I was like, whoa, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know if he's going to be able to keep up with me. Uh, and then they're looking at your butt the whole time. <laughs> but there's only that. And we say it all the time and we abuse it and everything, but it really, it's, it's true, man. There's only so many Septembers, man. We only have so many in a lifetime. And, you know, there is no way we were going to miss that. And and actually for us, I, I I really enjoyed the process. So all these people that are sending these questions in to me going like, you know, where do you start? You know, how do you do this? Um, it, it's just that. Number one, you just say, I'm going to hunt elk. That's the first thing. I'm going to hunt elk. And and you find the places that you can go hunt elk. If that means that you have a friend in Idaho and he says, Oh God, you know, come up and put in for this and join me. Well, man, take advice from your friend and go join them because now you have a mentor to do that. If you have somebody that's in Utah that says, Hey, you know, we can go hunt. It might only be a spike, might only be a cow, but we can put in for this place. And we have an opportunity, whether it's rifle, archery, muzzle, or whatever your dig is, right. Whatever your, the thing that floats your boat, go do it. Because one, once you get out there and you get that, that is experience in a lot of ways. Uh, and I, you know, that's one thing that on, on this module that I'm getting ready to put out for, uh, for our base camp on finding out the first thing that I do on that man is I say, we're going to get the head, right. That's the first thing we got to do. There's some, there's some things that really are just about getting your head, right. And, you know, and some of those things are number one, Yep. It's big. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It didn't look like this on base map or Onyx or the map or nothing. <laughs> oh, absolutely, man. And, and so I want to come back to something that you just reminded me that I want to talk about early. Cause when you were talking about looking at the maps and simplifying and everything like that, me, I like to do a 3d fly through because 
in my with my experience, when I look at land, I don't see land how other people do. I don't see all of this land. I see saddles, ridges, feeders, flats, benches. I see this stuff. And, and it's so funny that um, like last year when we were going to Colorado, I went and did some boots on the ground scouting of different areas that I wanted to evaluate or eliminate, right? Uh, on whether we were going to go there or not. So when I go there, I'm driving on the highway and I look up and I'm like, holy crap, look at that. <laughs> There's elk right in there, right? And so I actually threw a pin, started looking at it. So when I look at land, I see things on what's elky and what's not. It's kind of like a guy going to the lake that's going to fish, man. They can look at it and they can always start to see things. So, you know, I, I do like to look at stuff from 3d views, especially to give me an idea. But when you do that, understand this, it's like what I just said, man, and getting your head, right. Understand what you're looking at. That hill is not as easy to get no. up as you think it's going to be. You know what I mean? And I, I think the, the, the big point there is, you know, guys looking at, you know, lines of contour and not understanding what the gapping means or what the gapping mm -hmm. is on the map. Right. So if you're listening to this and you're, and you're delving into that, you know, look on there and see what that distance is, you know, between the lines of topo and understand that's going to give you what that incline feels like to a point, right? If those lines are super tight and you got a crazy climb and elevation, say you're going from 72 to 98 and you're on your screen, you know, it's an inch. Right. Chances are that SOB is going to be pretty daggum steep. And I, and I'm making assumptions, right? I, I don't have an issue with maps. It's what I do every day for work um to a yeah, point but when you get on onyx base map and those things those contours lie to you because they're, they're not as close you know so it, it just because of that there's some things that get missed on that that could be on top of each other you know so i mean i like i show an example um and i show an area of of topo and I have, and I say, look at this, you know, and when you look at that, you're like, oh, okay. That, oh, look at that nice flat meadow and everything. Oh, and it goes up on a hill. But, <laughs> but then when you look at it, it's like these steep, steep hills in Yosemite, man, that are just faces that you would have never thought, you know, that are going up so high like that. It can be real deceiving in that way. Absolutely. You know? Shaded relief maps are, are huge that way. I yep. got, <laughs> I'm kind of embarrassed by it. So I got, I got a really nice shaded relief map. This is probably two, three years ago. And I'm like, we're going here. There's a bench down there that drops into that draw. It's fairly steep on the bottom. Let's get after it. Mm -hmm. And uh, man, we go, we, I think it was probably two and a half miles. And I'm like, okay, we should be, you know, getting up to it. Well, that SOB was a sheer vertical. Right. Well, looking at the shaded relief, it looked like it was opposite of us. Right. Right. And right. it was a sheer, I mean, it was 200 foot to the yep. bottom. Right. And I'm walking in, we're walking up to this thing, not knowing that it's a sheer vertical. I'm, I crack off a bugle and I get a bull bugling back at me. Well, now I'm 200 foot above this bull. He's coming <laughs> in the trees and I'm like, I'm looking for a way down. And we are, we are cliff faced out, man, for half a mile one way. And who knows the other way. And, and is that uh, in the morning? Was that in the morning? Yeah. So what sucks about that is when you find a way down and that sucker passes you going <laughs> up, up the other the way. <laughs> <laughs> if he was making it anywhere in there, man. Woof. But you know that that 
and, and you know, understanding again, I, I hadn't used a shaded relief map much. I'm a, you know, contour guy and it was deceiving to me. It threw me off. Right. But it's, right. it's super easy to get caught in that stuff. Um, you know, to your point is understanding that. And then I like what you're saying is you're looking for those features is understanding what you're looking for, right? Yes. The benches and in the water and the draws and, you know, what do those mean to that animal? What do they mean to the elk? Why are they, why do they want to be there? Well, and, and that's the thing is, is like when people say, where do I start? Where do I start? A lot of times I try to tell them, where are you not going to start? Because there's a lot more area that you can eliminate than area where those animals are going to be, you know, and, and, and that's the thing. If you take a look at those features, if you take a look at those areas, you know, if just by focusing on those, even like you said, like if I found an area that has good water, has good feed inside of it, right? Well, people go, okay. So they're like, well, that could be an area that elk are. Well, but, are you looking even further? Are you looking for that saddle or that finger ridge is going down into it or those knuckle areas up above that where they're actually going to bed inside that? You know, if it's if it's an area and you have a warm year, you know, are they going to be able to pop over a saddle into a north face? Because they'll do that all the time. You know what I mean? They can go up one side, drop over the little saddle and they drop just a little ways on the other side and they're bedded down. So it's just about being able to look and see and understand those things that takes some experience, but there's so many ways to get that knowledge these days and, and, and learn about what those features are, learn about how those different things look. So, you know, to me, I look at things a little bit differently and that's why I like that. I love the 3d views. I've really fallen in love with fat map too, you know, because, um, I really like how it does the elevations and it does the the different colors to show you, you know, what's steep, what's not steep, what's a little bit flatter. And it really helps you to be able to find paths that you want to be able to walk on and to look at it. And, and I just, I, I like looking at areas and I like looking at areas and going, that looks elky, you know, or it doesn't look healthy. Elky. So, so one of the things that I like to point out there, right. Is, is we're looking at these areas and, and, mm -hmm. you know, this is, Joe and Guy, right? But then there's 10,000 other guys looking mm -hmm. at the areas. Right. One of my, I'm going to call it a pro tip, is, you know, whether, I, I'm not sure with fat maps, but like Google Earth, right, is you can basically rewind. So when you get on that, select the date. And you want the date range to be in the time you're hunting. If you want to know if that unit is crowded, get on Google yeah. Earth. And type it, you know, get in there and put in September, put in September the year before, the year before that, the year before that, and start looking around the roadways and the clearings for camps and see how many vehicles are parked in that area. That may eliminate that area for you if you don't want to be hunting around a ton of people. Uh, mm -hmm. I do that. And I've been really successful with that. You know, not last year I was in a different area, but the year before, the year before that, we saw five guys in 20 some odd days. And the year prior, we saw three guys in 17 days. Um, right. You know, so rewind that map and, and, you know, put that as part of your criteria. Now, if you're out there and it's your first year and it's kind of a solo situation and you're base camping, it's not a bad idea to have some neighbors, so to speak, um, you know, and have a few people around you and where you're not so removed from the crowds. Yeah. So if, if we were to jump this back, 
and where we were talking about where do I start? And we talked about number one, the state. We kind of simplified that, right? We're going to find some place where we can get an elk tag and we can hunt. You know, if you want to play the draw game, there's nothing wrong with that if there are always places that have OTC. So if you want to go ahead and put in for states because you have a buddy that's in there or you know somebody that's there or you have some kind of connection, put the heck in for it, right? But identify places where, okay, where can I get an over-the-counter tag and go hunting? I, and I don't care what state that is, find who has those over-the-counter opportunities or has zero draw opportunities where you can get a tag in that state. Simplify it. So that way it gets you in an elk state. Can I have news for you? I don't care if it's Colorado, if it's Idaho, if it's Utah, if they're an elk state. They got elk. And <laughs> they got elk, man. <laughs> you know, that's all you need, right? Absolutely. You know, and, and to kind of further that, right, if we're talking about the guy that's two years in, three years in, and mm-hmm. you, you know, you spent that year and you went out and you found elk. Typically, right. if you don't kill something, guys want to boogie somewhere else, uh-huh. right? The elk game will say it's not a walk in the woods, shoot it and walk out, right? If right. you found elk that first year, that second year. And, and there's no problem with that unit that you're in and you can get back in there and you want to hunt elk, go back to the same unit, go back right. to that haunt. You know, that unit, you've learned the area, you understand the terrain. Now it's just about putting it together. Knowledge of the area, huge. knowledge of the area is one of the, the best things to create success. Because once you start understanding the area, that means you're understanding where you've seen animals before. And people are like this, like they always say is, well, just because you saw an animal there one year doesn't mean you're going to see it next year. Well, there's a reason why you saw that animal there that year. Uh, That animal was there because either there's good feed, there's good water. There is a reason that you're seeing them in those areas, man. So to me, yes, if you are finding animals in a particular area in a unit that you're hunting and you're starting to understand that, you're already ahead of the ball game. So I'm with you, man. If you go someplace, and and I'll tell you this, here's what I'll tell somebody. If let's say that you're going to go to an OTC state and they have areas that are, are all over the place. You're trying to decide which one's the best one. Throw, do what guy said, throw a daggum dart at the map. And then if that's an area that's a draw area, then you go in the closest over the counter area to where you just pin that outside of that draw area. That's the area you want to go hunt. Okay. Because you are going to find elk there and you're going to go, well, uh, I, I look at this and, and, you know, people say that you've got to bring your own rock to stand on. Um, who cares? Right. I mean, if there are a ton of people in an area, usually that's because either it's had a high success rate or it's a very large area. And a lot of people are going to be hunting in that area. Um, or, and here's other reasons that, that there's a lot of people in an area, the easier it is, the better the roads are. And the easier and more comfortable the camping situation is, I mean, if they can drive their, you know, their, their big RV in there, if they can pull a giant, you know, Taj Mahal behind, you know, the more comfortable that they can be, the more is going to be attractive because number one, um, they can 
be comfortable. <laughs> That's number one. And a lot of times they can bring family and bring friends and stuff like that. And it becomes, it becomes a vacation as much as it becomes a hunt. What's well, part of that so, tradition part of it? What's that? That that tradition part of it. I mean, that's huge. Yes. Elk camps. I mean, yeah. you see some of those elk camps, man, and it's, you know, four or five trailers circled up and you very rarely see the camp empty. So that's the biggest thing that I hated about the whole Idaho thing is that you're not able to really group hunt if you're going to get one of those over-the-counter deals because everybody's having to go in into the portal different. You could be like you said, 1100, your buddy can be like 17,000. So it's really hard for you to be able to hunt as a group. And, and that's something that I'm going to throw out as the conditions of what your hunt is going to be. If you're going to be solo, if you're going to be with a partner, if you're going to be with a group, sometimes also determines where you're going to start and what states that you can hunt. So that's something you got to think about. Also like how, far away it is, how much time you have. I mean, if you only have four days, well, and, and you're in Kansas, you're not going to want to drive to Washington state to hunt when you can go to Colorado and you can have more hunting time and less driving time. Right. So some of that stuff is going to determine for you. Sometimes economics determines that for you as well, you know, where you can afford to be able to go hunt in some of these states, what's this going to cost you? So I think when people ask, like, where do I start? How do you even pick a dog on state? You have to think about those things, you know, your cost, the availability of a tag, the distance to be able to drive, the amount of hunting time that you have, right? Um, whether you're going to be hunting in a group solo or, you know, if do, do you plan on going in the backcountry or do you need to use uh, an ATV in areas that's going to make it easier for you to get an animal? A lot of these things are things that they have to consider, man, when they do that. Now, when you start going, okay, so we've already talked about the unit, OTC, throw a dog on dart, right? That simplifies it. And, and they're like, well, couldn't I make better choices? <laughs> <laughs> you, you probably, you probably could, but, but do you want to just go hunt elk? You know, right. and, and that's my thing with, with a new elk hunter is you just want to be in the woods. Again, you're not going to get the education, not in the woods. Right. And, and you need it. And, and for me, I think going into an OTC unit, this this may sound great. I, I want to be successful, right? But right. I want to be that elk hunter. I want to be that elk hunter that once I get it, that tag is notched every single year. I don't want to be that every other year, every second year, every third year guy when it comes to notching that elk tag. Right. There's something that comes from grinding, struggling, mm -hmm. right? Busting your butt, figuring it out frustration i've been through it all right um that comes from that you you will rise to the occasion because you don't have a choice um and i think there's something to be said about those difficult units those otc units with low cow uh, bull to cow ratios um low success i don't want to go to an eight percent unit i'm gonna tell you that shit right now <laughs> 10 percent is hard enough when you know what i mean and that 10 percent is kind of shared throughout that unit with with muzzle loader and whatnot um 
I don't want to go to anything less. So yeah, I, I think looking at the percentage in that unit is is helpful. But yeah, I I love the fact that you going out and struggling a bit. You're just you're gonna elevate your game. You're gonna pay attention, uh, and you're gonna walk away with more takeaways, in my opinion. Well, and let, let me tell you something about these highly what they you know hunter populated areas versus like wilderness area like that. You know, you hear people talk all the time about, you know, you can be in the wilderness where there's, and, and I, I have my opinion about that too, man. Everybody's like, yeah, you got to go eight miles back or six miles back to get into the elk. Well, if everybody's going eight miles and six miles back, that means everybody's in eight miles and six miles, man. So there's a lot of country in between there that are actually better elk hunting on that. But let's say, let's say that you are in areas where it's, you know, more sparse with the amount of hunting pressure. Those animals there that do not see a lot of pressure, do not see a lot of people are more susceptible once they get in pressure to move a whole lot further away to get away from that pressure in those areas. Whereas when you hunt those areas that are high use areas, high populated areas that see a lot of people, a lot of recreation that have elk in them, those are elk that you can bump that don't go very far in those areas because they are just used to being amongst people as much. So, you know, those animals react a little differently in those areas. So I, you know, I tell people like you find, like if you put that area and you go into it and and you just put that dart and okay, and that's the unit that you're going to go in. What happens with that now is, is now you actually start learning something about locating elk. See, there's, there's a difference between locating and finding out. Even though it's the same thing and they're interchangeable, there's a difference in their life. For example, I, I can go out and I can see an elk in my binos or I can get an elk to respond to me. I've located elk. Locating animals is half the battle, right? Okay. But just because I've located them doesn't mean I'm going to kill it. Now I got to go and find that animal and create an opportunity. You know, I mean, I can be listening to the greatest bugle fest all around me and go home empty handed because then I don't know how to find the animals. I don't know how to move in. I don't know how to create an encounter. Right. So, you know, the key is first of all is locate them and you can locate them by sound. You can locate them by sight. You can locate them by smell sign. Um, you can, you can locate them by how much a trail is being used. There's all these different ways to, to locate areas that elk are using consistently or, or are moving through or are there at that moment in time, or they're there because of certain features that attract them. Once you have located them, now what you got to do is you got to go in and you got to find those animals, right? Uh, it's, I always tell people it's kind of like the, the remote in your living room when you lose your remote because <laughs> you can know that that remote's in the living room. You know the location of that puppy, man. But until you get that thing in your grubby little hands, there ain't no TV watching happening, right? <laughs> so it's just... <laughs> so what I like about when people get a unit like that is now they have to start learning how to locate animals, right? And they have to develop that skill set. And, and once they start locating animals and they know that they're hunting in an area where they're at, you know, 
now they have a place to hunt. Now they have animals that they can hunt. They have animals that they can work. They can find a way now to create an opportunity. And I don't care if that's sitting by a waller or if it's stalking or if it's calling. I will tell you this. There's two ways to have an encounter. Either you got to go find the elk or you have the elk find you. I'm a whole lot better at creating opportunities by having them come find me. Right. I mean, that's something to be said. I'm sorry. That's something to be said in all hunting, right. For at least for me, like, you know, and, and I'm not, you know, we got our tree stand and brethren, you know, down South back East. Uh, We got guys that, that hunt tree stand here uh, blinds. I've always felt like I'm not creating an opportunity. Right. And right. and my success has been from creating opportunities. And man, for me to sit and wait for something to come by, unless I'm glassing, I have zero patience. Like I got to be on the move. I got to <sighs> find you. And then when you talk about limited time, which I want to get into with you as well, when you talk okay. about limited time sitting, uh, which we won't detract right now from what you were saying, I'll shut up. Um, when you got limited time, if you're in my head, right, for me, if I'm sitting there, I'm. I'm wasting that time. Now there's a time and place for it, right? If, if things are quiet and it's hot and you can sit water, then, you know, you got to do what you got to do to notch the tag. But I, I really, I really gravitate towards what you're saying about creating opportunity. So when would you say, and, and I, I just want to do this because we were talking about creating the opportunity and having them find you all go back to that. But you mentioned the water and when would you say is the best time to sit water for me? Never. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do it, man. I, I should have saw that coming, man. <laughs> I, I cannot. I I tried it. Okay. I tried it last yeah. year. It hit it hit 79 to 81, 82 a couple of the uh-huh. days. And uh man, I went over to water and I'm, you know, I did my morning my morning hoot and holler and um didn't, you know, didn't make things happen. And I'm looking at the time and I'm like, okay, you know, they're they they stopped bugling at, you know. Seven o'clock, say. Uh, right. I think I was sitting water by 10, 1030. I had a little hoof to make and I was sitting that water by 10, 1030. I mean, booking it over to where I thought they would be. Um, yeah, the, I, the worst time to set water is in that in that early half of the day. Worst time because they've already watered all night. They went to bed and really unless there's a bull that, you know, gets up out of that bed and it's still going to be later on in the day when he does that you know, to go out there, water wallow and do that kind of crap. You know, I, I'll tell you why, you know, Chav, Chav is not somebody that likes to sit as well, but due to his condition, you know, just now relearning to walk, you know, we put him in a situation, we wanted him to have the best situation. So we found a place where he could sit on a blind on a, a small area of water, not a big area of water. We want something that was tight, that animals could come out of trees where they felt comfortable. They could get into it. They could wild and they could get out of there. And in the amount of hunt days that we had out of all of us hunting, Chav saw the most elk out of anybody in our group sitting on water. But what, what he found was that stuff of going there before daylight and sitting on the water and freezing your butt off, man, in that chair, it was a waste of time because not all the animals that showed up for him was from like noon on, you know, they, a lot of those were that three o'clock, four o'clock, hot, hot part of the day 
when they would come into that. And it, it's when, especially on hot days, if you got drizzling, you got cool and everything, totally different, man. You know, they just don't need to. But when you have those hot days, uh, those animals feel a need that they got to get up and get some water. And most of that is in that afternoon. And it's generally before most people hit the woods. Elk, you know, that's like I've told people. What do you mean? Wait, 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 wait. What do you mean generally before most people hit the woods? You mean you don't come out, you come out of the woods once you start? <laughs> There's a most people most people come out of the woods. So most people are going to hunt till honestly, I've seen this from so many people and and I I want to give it because when we talk about the best time to hunt when there's hunting pressure is when there's not any pressure. And elk two. do the same thing. Right. Yep. And it's Yep. Actually 10 to four, man. You think I'd four? say 10 to four. Yep. Yeah. That's, yeah. I, I think, well, that's when I heard the road traffic, that mm-hmm. two o'clock time frame. right? Is now, they now guys moving. are firing up the UTVs and whatnot yep. and getting out of their camp. So, so I could see yeah. at four o'clock, but you know, if you're in an earshot of road, it'll tell you a whole bunch about how folks are moving. Yeah. But any elk there within earshot of a road, are used to hearing those sounds too. It's the people moving in the woods that bother them. So those elk are actually moving when there's nobody in the woods. When we're in our tent sleeping at night, they're out moving, right? When people go back to camp, they're out there moving, man. They understand and they feel all of that. They, they're, they're not smelling people. They're not hearing people. They're not seeing people. So they're moving. So Chad being in there, we started putting him in by noon before noon and that's when he was seeing the bulk of his animals between noon and four, man, they were coming in there and he saw more animals than the rest of us. But I mean, you're spending hours doing that, right? Oh, dude, How did he stay awake? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I think one time actually he was sitting down reading a book Get this. He's reading a book and there, or he brings his iPad with stuff on it so he can read it. Right. And he's sitting there reading his iPad and all of a sudden he starts hearing, <laughs> it's like, well, that sounds different. And he looks up and there's an elk in the water, right? So, <laughs> you know, one of those deals. It, it always uh, amazes me how quiet they come in, right? So to be oh. that big and imposing on the landscape and to duck and dodge. And I mean, just tiptoe, right? I mean, it's, it's amazing. I hear a squirrel or I hear a, a magpie or something before I hear, hear the elk. It, it just blows my mind. And then you watch yeah. them and how they, you know, especially a bull, right? How they flow mm-hmm. through that, that low hanging branch and just, you know, everything's, oh man, it's phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. And when we were talking about encounters, creating encounters earlier, you know, I, I said the ways that you create encounters, well, the way you have encounters is either You have to find elk or have elk find you. So generally, if I'm finding elk, that means like I'm glassing them up or I'm or I'm still hunting or I'm sitting on water or I'm in a tree stand. I find a trail that they're moving up and down from over a saddle or where they a a regular fence crossing that I can tell they're coming out of private area or they're coming out of ag. There's all kinds of ways that you can read what's going on with the animals that you can figure, Okay, this is a place that might be a good place for me to sit or wait, or this is an area where they're in transition from, you know, bed to going to feed. So it's a good area to still hunt. There's, or this is an area where I can look off. But for me, I would much rather those animals find me because we've just changed two different things. If, if I'm going and finding an animal, unless I am sitting water, 
right? Or unless I am in a tree stand, that means I'm moving. And if I'm moving, then they have a chance to see me before I see them. Hopefully that doesn't happen, but most of the time that generally does is what happens, you know, or they catch a scent or, you know, uh, or they hear a sound. And so it puts their ears up because they, they want to know if it's another elk. So they're staring in that direction. I mean, you know, you've seen a lot of times when you're going in and, and an elk, boom, those ears come up and they're just, you know, because you've been calling and they're coming in and they just stop and they're just staring and you can just feel them burning holes right through you. It seems like, but all, all they're doing is man, they're, they're looking to see another elk. They're expecting to do that. So they're studying and looking for movement. It's the same thing when you make a noise out there and you're moving in on one, boom, they go up. Not that they're, you know, they've heard a sound that's not going to freak them out. It's when they hear the sound and then they see something that is not another elk. Right. So for me, I'd much rather have them coming in to me because now I'm still, they're moving, they're making noises and I'm at the advantage. You know, we have to understand when we're in their environment, number one, we're at a disadvantage. That's their home. Right. So the, the more I can turn that table and have them come to me. So I'm just telling you, everybody that's listening out there, being able to verbalize and talk and communicate with elk is your number one way to punch a tech. And, and, and I want to clarify that in saying that as well, that doesn't mean that they have to verbalize back to you. It's great. Oh, you talk to guy here. Guy lives for man. The, that bull screaming, coming back at him. Right. Who, who doesn't? I mean, that's, that's the, that's, that's the thing that everybody lives for, loves for, and you want to have happen. But if you want to kill elk, if you can kill a silent elk, you can kill any elk. Well, right. I'm going to cut you off real quick. And, and okay. that, is our detriment more than it helps us, right? Is, is wanting to go back and forth. That is our detriment in the elk woods because we don't, either we don't stop early enough or we go too far or we say the wrong thing. And those are all triggers, right? Ears come up, eyes come up. Okay. What was that? That didn't feel right. That didn't seem right. They, they're used to talking that language. So apologize for cutting you off. No, no, absolutely. You, man, I, I just want the friggin' banner. I want to go back and forth, man. I just, <laughs> I just love talking out. So it doesn't matter, but you know, you're, you're right. People, the problem we are is, is there's two things as humans, a lot of times, especially new people coming out, don't realize that elk act a lot more like us than we think that you know a lot more about them than you think you do just because they act and do a lot of things that we do. Um, I can elaborate that on a minute, but also one of our detriments is, is that we throw our human times and thoughts and feelings oftentimes on the animals that don't exist as well. Like we want things to happen in our time, not in elk time. You know, so here we are, we're talking to an animal We're we're, you know, we, 
and we're not going to go too much into scenarios and stuff like that right now, but I'm putting on a scenario where I want an animal to come to me. I'm not engaging that animal. I'm not telling that animal, I'm not challenging him. I'm not, you know, I, I am basically sounding because these are herd animals bringing an animal to me because there's other herd activity going on. There's another rut fest going on. There's another bull advertising going on there. There's a cow and heat going on doing these types of things that are going to go ahead and pull this animal to me. And when it, when that's happening, some of them are going to sound off, but some of them aren't because there's especially, and, and this is where another thing you got to determine me, I'm hunting pretty much any bull. Right. Because when we hunt as a group, as a crew, we're trying to put animals on the ground and help everybody get an animal down. So I'm not I'm not necessarily uh, out there saying, oh, I'm only going to shoot a 340 bull, 350 bull. I'm not only going to shoot a herd bull. Man, I tell you what, satellites are in trouble with this boy. Rags are in trouble with this boy. They come into me. Now, if you're hunting any, you know, if you're hunting a certain type of bull, that's awesome. And I'm not talking that down in any way. It's a great challenge. It's what's, what does it for you. It's what's getting you up. It's what's making you do all that work all year. That's really cool. But for me, if I'm out there and I'm putting on something where I'm just trying to pull an animal to me and, and there's a good chance if that is a satellite bull or if it's a lesser bull, it's a lower age class bull, that bull is going to come into me silent because that bull is going to come in and wants to see the situation before he's ever going to give a peep, you know, or he's going to stay off in the distance and he's going to give you that little stuff out there. Just kind of like, yeah, I'm here. Um, or try to talk to the cows a little bit, let them know that he's there and maybe try to get something off of it. So, you know, there's, you know, there's different ways to bring those animals to you. Yes. You can get a bull that's screaming, that bull's hot. That bull is, is, is enraged. I mean, that's a, a, a bull that's going to die. I mean, that's a bull that's, you know, those are the easier bulls to get in. Right. You're going to say something, bro. Yeah. You're, you're going through this stuff, right. And it's just triggering all this thought. Um, you know, you, you hear that bull coming in, right. And he's piping to you. Hey, I'm here. Hey, I'm here. And you can, and you can tell that he is, getting physically closer and closer and closer. And then all of a sudden it's silent, right? You don't hear a peep from that bull and been in that scenario. um, You just got to sit and wait. If you, if you heard him coming, you got to sit and wait on that bull. Right. And then this is doing things like you said on their time and not playing it on our time. When we play it on our time, we walk away from a bull that we never knew came within 15 yards of where we were standing looking like okay where'd you go you're not going to see or hear him again Uh, so i just wanted to make that point and i had that happen to me uh last year and uh i I knew i shouldn't walk away but i heard a big boy and i was like oh there he is that's what i was Mm -hmm. chasing and uh had this bull coming in he you know kicked three little light bugles off and i could hear him just across this little small drainage and he was probably 60 yards across, right. As, as the crow flies, he had to come down and, you know, if he'd have come down and out, then he was done. And, uh, I got maybe 30 yards away and I can hear him stepping and cracking and breaking where I was at, you know? And it's just like, man, that, that human time that you were talking about will kill you and you don't even realize it. 
A lot so of let me ask you a question. When you that. walked off of that bull, mm-hmm. did you make any noise when you were walking off away from that bull? Oh, heck yeah. As soon as I heard that big boy that I was chasing yeah. bugle, I was gone. So <laughs> I can tell you what is a lot of times that bull, if he was standing back and waiting to see, seeing if you were coming into him, trying to read the situation, and you start walking off and making noises, it sounds like an elk that's moving away. So what does he do? He trails, right? I mean, I've actually had times when uh, I've called a bull, he comes in, he goes into that one position where he's like, mm, I want to see you first. You show me your first man, right? So he's like, I'm just hanging out here. And then he, and he seems like he stays there. And then I start moving off and I start to call for another bull because I got so ticked at him. I start calling, boom, he starts talking to me again from the exact, exact same, same distance, yep. right? Yeah, just trailing out. And and I've had that happen where I learned what you could do is you could actually start moving off and you kind of come right back, man, to where you were. So, again, I keep cutting you off. Sorry, man. Um, That's all right. But think about that, guys, if you're looking at a solo situation and your setup, right? I mean, there you go right there. It's happened to Joe. It's happened to me. Um, look at that when you're setting up solo, you know, put that, put that in your repertoire, right? Play them close and just know that, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm going to work here and then I'm going to move, you know, to this position, but I still have my shooting lane that hopefully is going to draw them in. Um, that's a great, especially, especially guy who use terrain to do it, bro. Heck because yeah. like, if you set up where, they have to, you know, where you're right at their stop and scan spot. And for those people who have never heard me use that before, um, if you want to, if you want to kill an elk, man, what you have to do is, and you don't want them hanging up on you, elk will always come up. And when they know another elk's in the area, they are going to have what I call a stop and scan spot. So basically they are going to stop where they know they should be able to see another elk. If it's a very open area, that stop and scan spot could be 80 yards away, man. It could be a hundred yards away, depending on how open it is. So the best thing when you're creating a setup is to, you've got that animal responding. Now you got to look, where is that animal stop and scan spot going to be? If it's terrain, does he come up, have to come up over a hill on top of it to be able to stop and scan? If it's thick brush, it's in front of me. Does he have to come through that? Am I going to put the thickest brush right in front of me so that he has to come in off to the side, giving me a broadside shot at only third yard, 30 yards, because that's going to be a stop and scan spot. So when you're doing these calls, like what, what a guy was just saying, if I have that animal, he's coming in and he is like staying off of it. I want to be able to be at where his stop and scan is, where my last call location is, where I know that I'm going to have an effective range to shoot that animal. And then I'm going to move directly away from that animal, sounding off, going, doing my calling, going away from it. And man, I'm going to turn and boogie right back to that stop and scan spot. So when that animal comes over to be able to look, I am going to be right there. Because as long as that animal's not able to see anything, he's going to continue coming until he can't. Yes. Right. And, 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 And I want to caution folks. When he stops, if he, you know, he giving you a noise or whatever he's doing on his way in, be it, you know, bugling or, or you know, locates or uh, raking, I don't care what it is, right? When he hits that point, do not try and move towards that bull. If you feel like he was coming and he held, in my opinion, you're not going to move towards that bull if you're not certain because you don't know what those eyes are looking at at that moment. Um, 
Oh, as soon as you drop into where his stopping, where his scanning area is, because he's looking for another animal, you're in trouble. You're always better trying to bring that animal, throwing calls behind you. And that's another thing, man. I see a huge mistake people do is I see so many people calling at a bull, you know, and when you're calling at a bull, especially if you're using a background tube or something like that, that resonates and makes that animal think that, shoot, man, you're, you know, 30, 40 yards closer than what you actually are. You need to throw those calls back behind you. So that animal thinks that you are further than what you are. So that's something for you to keep in mind like that. But the idea is, is to have them come look for you, whether it's they're screaming and you're bringing them in on a string or whether they're silent and coming into you because you can actually be moving through an area, doing cow calls. I do it all the time and moving slow and listening and looking for movement because they're coming into you. That's great shot opportunity as well like that. There's so many different scenarios and things that you can do um, in order to bring these animals to you. And as soon as you learn to communicate with them, doing the proper language, <laughs> okay, I, I, I don't want to complicate it. I don't want to do that right now. It can be as complex or it can be as simple as you want. Yeah, because I'll tell you this. Um, you take lip balling for that's kind of like the thing. Everybody loves the lip. I mean, it sounds cool. It looks cool. It's all that. I killed 36 elk, never use a lip ball ever. You know, most of those animals... Mm, a bunch of those I probably never even screamed at, right? I used a location or I was basically, and then moving in and doing cow calls and using uh, other types of breeding noises and things like that to pull them in. I wasn't giving them the same thing that they're hearing from everybody else out there. You know, if you're giving them the same old rodeo, expect the same old behaviors. I think animals that circle and, and go downwind and come into us are because those animals have already been called in. It's not their first rodeo. They've been brought in. They saw somebody. So now when they're here, another animal, they're like, okay, I think I'll scent check this a little bit first. When we do that. Because they're hearing the same methods over and over by different people like that. So, you know, uh, it, in creating your opportunity, learn to call, learn basic cow calls. If you learn basic cow calls, you can change that up to not sound like, the same cow call all the time. You can change it up to where you can do calf calls. Man, and I tell you, man, people don't realize the great strength in calf calls. I mean, I, I think that is really one of the best things to use out there is calf calls and being able to create opportunities. Because if mama is with the bull, cows by nature want to go in and and help a calf when they're hearing a calf in distress. So you're either going to bring in a bull because a bull, when a bull hears a calf, they think that there's a mama with the calf, right? So they're going to come in or you're going to bring a mama that's bringing a bull. So calf calls are a real good way of keeping other cows close to you or bringing them into you or bringing bulls into you. I'm just throwing crap out, man, no, all over fine. the place here. So, <laughs> you know, we, we talk about language, right? And, and, and that communication. And I, I, I think that that we've, maybe not intentionally drawn a line in the sand with that. And I feel mm -hmm. like when we talk about language, we should be talking about the scenario, the situation, right? Our situational right. awareness. Um, because knowing how to say, come here, 
to, you know, say you, you hit a, a regathering mew, right? Well, if he's with his cows, are we going to really draw him in with that? So understanding the language and the scenario in my head should coincide. They should be running the same line and maybe they're on opposite sides of that line to a point, but there's going to be intersection of those two things in that entire season, whether your season's 20 days, 30 days, two days, five days, whatever it is. But I think we should be talking about those simultaneously. Well, I think the more mature your elk language is, the more maturable you can get. So, you know, I, 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 do you understand what I mean by that? Yeah. So, you know, when the more immature you are in your stage of calling, the best time for you to hunt is early season and you can bring in a lot of, you know, rags and smaller bulls that are just are not that bright. And look, uh, I have no problem hunting stupid elk. <laughs> I have no problem with that at all. But I think the the more mature you get, the more experience you get in your language and being able to change that up and to do that and to sound like um more realistic like other animals, the more opportunity you have at more elk. You're 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 not so limited in what you're going to be bringing in, you know, so that, that is for the people that really want to raise their game, you know, and become more efficient in their hunting and in their elk hunting. You know, I'm telling you, speaking the language, understanding the behaviors, not only just speaking the language, but understanding the whys of what you're saying or the whys of how they're responding. Are you always going to get it right? No, you're not. You know, you're not always going to get it right because you're not always seeing the variables that are around that animal. You're not seeing, you know, whether those cows are walking off because they could care less at what you're saying and that bull is responding back to you and he's going to end up turning and running off with them. You're not seeing if he has four other satellites around that are harassing him as well. So all of a sudden he pushes his animals off and you think it's you that did something wrong. You know, there, it, there's so many variables out there that you don't get to see all the time. And a lot of times, again, when we as humans, we, we then equate what happened in that sequence as a failure of, oh, I can't do that. Right. So, uh, there's a lot of nuances to talking to animals. Uh, that's why really for me, I really think one of the things that are one of the least used is actually using scenarios. And, you know, a lot of people have listened to a lot of people that talk about scenarios, but they don't really understand it so much and they don't really want to spend the time on it. And, and I mean time learning the language and then time within the setup. You know, it's like you were talking about before, you know, I've seen, I don't, I couldn't tell you how many people I know that I've talked to that'll go in, they'll, they'll do a cold call. Or they'll be in an area where they've heard one and they and they start to do a uh, uh, a cow and heat type sequence or or a rut fest or something like that. And if they don't see an animal in 15 minutes, they're out of there. They're like, "Well, I'm burning daylight, man. I got to get out of here." Well, you've actually burnt the time that you've invested in there, and you haven't really completed your investment. You haven't let let it gain any interest yet basically. Right. So, yeah, I, I, I think like when you're talking about language there, I, 
there's a lot of elk that can be killed just with having solid cow call abilities and a location people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, so, so you hear a locate, right. And you just passed, I say you busted the cows, right. You busted Mm -hmm. the cows. The bull wasn't around. You busted the cows. Then it's locate cracks off. What's, what's the first response? I know what mine is. If I know I just busted cows and they boogied, you know, around around the ridge or up the saddle or whatever it is, you know, off the bench, and this bull's coming in from where they were just at because he's lagging or, you know, he was chasing another cow, I'm sure his mess not going to locate back at that bull. I'm going to hit him with cow no. sounds, right? Yeah. The cows just Absolutely. left. Hey, buddy, I'm right here. That's what I'm saying, I'm right? I'm a reassembly mule, right? That's <laughs> That is being aware of the scenario. You can do a the reassemble. Situation. You can do a lost cow call. Heck you can do yeah. a lost cow. Lost call. cow. Yep. yep. And, and bring them into that. You know, it's not always grabbing the bat and and piping one off. And and I think again that you know that kills it. Um, just so I, the look, excitement I, for people out there that think that. I, I want you to go. Uh, I I don't know. Have you been watching any of the Phelps series now? Dude. Um, Dirk and, <laughs> yeah, right? man. So like, like Dirk just did one where he was in a rut fest. Not number right? seven, dude. Number seven. Oh right? man. You're talking about a world champion elk caller, right? And, and, and take a look at Jason and some of these things and all of these up to this point where they've been talking about these guys are world champion callers. And then you have animals that as he's working, I mean, it's going back and forth. You're hearing all this. It sounds really exciting. He's got them located. He's got them working, but they keep moving off. This is a world champion elk caller, man. So is he doing it wrong? Heck no, he's not doing it. That's what you call elk hunting. You know, there, there's a reason the animal has moved off. There's a time of day. It's where those cows are moving. It's because of the time of year. He just isn't feeling it quite yet, you know, or he doesn't like the idea that Dirk sounds as good as he does, man. So he's going to move the freaking cows out of there. Right. You know, uh, it, it it's it, there. I, what I want people to understand is you can be the best in the doggone world and animals don't come run you over. You, I, want, I want folks, you know, if you're listening to this and you go to check out that series and in the intro, right? One of, mm-hmm. And it stood out to me as soon as, as soon as Dirk said it, right? Well, that's elk hunting and he laughs it yeah. off, right? And that's in the intro. To me, yes. that set the tone for the entire series. I, I knew what I was in for, but I have an understanding of it, right? And I saw that and I was just like, okay, this is going to be freaking awesome. Um and do oh, you he- know what I love about? I'm sorry, man. You no, know what no. I love about Dirk is when that happens. He's like, <laughs> yeah. What do you he do? Chuckles, man. Right, but yeah. that, but that is that's the purity of just being out there with no pressure and loving it, right? Because that to me, yeah. that's what elk hunting can do to you if you. I'm gonna go back to what we said earlier. If you simplify it, if you break it down, and you leave, you know, you don't get so wrapped up. It's not a loss. You know what I mean? If you're if you're getting that education, especially a new guy, if you're getting that education from that animal, that's how you should take it as education. And you're paying attention to what they're letting you learn right on their terms. That's all you're going to do is you're going to smile at the situation. You're going to look at those as opportunities as well as, you know, yeah, to a point they're failures. You did notch a tag at that moment. But, man, all you can do is smile like I just – I'm watching Dirk on this dude. I'm on, I'm, I'm watching number seven the second time. Yeah. And I was so, 
The guy can call. We all know that, right? But I was so impressed with the quality of his calling. Like, I don't know why it's never stood out like it did watching that number seven. There's something Mm -hmm. about that. I mean, maybe he was just like, I'm pulling out all the stops. Like, it's coming. And it's like, is that Dirk or is that the damn bull? I mean, it's that <laughs> good, you oh, know? Yeah. It's like, holy well, Here's gosh. another thing I want to point out about that, that that I want people is, is they're going back and forth from Jason to Dirk, right? Okay, from out there. And Jason and, uh, yeah, Lampers, they're, they're putting on miles, dude. And they're calling and they're putting on miles and they're calling. And it's like, not a friggin' peep, right? A lot of times out there. And then all of a sudden you go back and he is not that far from them. Is Dirk is in a rut fest, right? So I, I, I want that to sink in for a second. I want people to understand that is you have these incredible elk hunters in one area that are struggling to get a peep and you have another elk hunter not that far off because there's a point in number seven where they end up in the same area right where they finally get to the point where they can hear dirk and those bulls going back and forth and they kind of and and dirk had thrown them a, a position right but they're not that far off and and people are like and I want you to think about it. You can be out hunting and you think there's not a doggone elk in the woods and over a ridge it can be lit up over in there because there's so many people that think that the rut is like this overall phenomenon, right? That if elk are screaming, they have to be screaming everywhere. And that's not how it happens, man. It doesn't happen that way. And I, and I just want people to understand that just because you're out there and, and you're grinding and you're doing it and you're not getting responses does not mean that elk are not responding. They're responding somewhere. Or they could even be responding silently coming into you as well. That, you know, so. I'm sorry. That's a good point, right? It is understanding that you may not get what you give, right? They're not necessarily going to answer you at 90 decibels, at 100 decibels. You may have this low audible, our ears ain't hearing it. You know what I mean? You really have to give those scenarios time going back to that, but you really have to be listening. You have to pay attention. If you hear something, question that something, right? I mean, I don't know how many times I cracked off, you know, a locate or, you know, I throw a cow sound out there or, you know, a chirp or a mew or something. And it's just, Oh, you know, and he's raking, you know, or you mm-hmm. hear that, or you hear that, that huff. And, and that <laughs> one was big last year, man. Uh, was them huffing. I mean, you want to, you want to talk about, getting me excited because if you can hear that you know you know you're close you know oh, a glunk yeah. too. you oh, hear dude. a glunk that's the that is the coolest freaking sound an elk makes i don't care <laughs> what anyone says i hear a glunk man and i'm i'm grinning ear to ear i'm doing everything i can not to just laugh i wish i had my tube i have my tube i don't have a diaphragm um yeah i i'm i'm a diaphragm guy with my glunk Oh, you can glunk with a diaphragm? Yeah. Really? I wish I had one here. I don't. I took it. Dude, in, it, took it in what? Yeah. What? You uh, do not have your diaphragm there, man? No. Come on, bro. I, I, uh, <laughs> I went through them and I, man, I had, I went through so many diaphragms last year and I just bought some new ones, but I keep them in the fridge. 
put them in a baggie, yeah, right. put them in a fridge. Yeah. So. In fact, I pulled this one out of the fridge and I had it on top of the butter and I put it in my mouth. I was like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> with that man on there. So, yeah, no, I, I, I think, I think when people, and that's what I like about the series that Jason and Dirk are putting on right now is it shows elk hunting it doesn't show elk killing. No, I guarantee you, man. You know, I, in fact, I think Dirk had a couple of bulls, a couple of rags that came in that, you know, he's hunting the Gila. So he backed off of them at this point, didn't take a shot on them uh, in there. But that's, I love seeing the grind day to day. I love seeing the guys go, you know, hey, <laughs> yeah, they're whipping us, man, right now. And and that happens, man. Well, that, I mean, they start the is it the eighth episode? I think it starts off or maybe it's in the middle of the seventh and, and Lampers looks back like, you know, he's what's going on. Like right. <laughs> what the hell, man, but that's, but yeah. that's it. You know what I mean? Like, and it's day to day. I mean, when, when we were in, you know, uh, Colorado last year and I was with Brandon, dude, we could not, we couldn't do anything wrong in terms of getting on elk, calling elk in now getting shots was one thing. Right. But we couldn't do anything wrong on the, on the other side of that. And then it shut up for two days and it was just like, okay, what the heck happened? You know, do we need to prospect somewhere else? And it's like, no, they're here. We just, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta stay after them. At some point it should come together. Should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for, for those, those guys out there going, where do you start? You know, um, yeah, and when we start talking about finding elk and the different things like that, you know, find your state, get out there, find that unit, get there. Um, if you are not, and and I under, I get this. Look, if you are not where you can go get boots on the ground, um, then and all you have is e scouting, you have that. Make things as three dimensional as possible as you can to look at it to get a feel for it. Um, even getting the area and what you'll see is a lot of those, like even if you go to Google Earth and certain different places, um, or you can even go on highways like on Google Maps a lot of times, and you can get down sometimes and you can actually look around a little bit, or there's people that have taken photographs of the area. It it really helps. Yeah. To look at those photos of the area. And and there's a lot of people that are looking for maybe some intel of, you know, well, you know, what are some areas possibly that I might see some of these animals? And, you know, look, um, there's different ways to get that. I've seen where people have gone on forums and done that and they end up getting bantered and badgered and everything for doing that. You're, you're actually, if, if you want to find out about places to find elk, see if you can find a grouse for them. Cause those guys, man, <laughs> they'll tell you everything. And they bump into them all the time when they're grouse hunting out there. There's different ways to get that information, but you know, isn't a grouse hunter, a bad elk hunter anyway. <laughs> no i actually i actually think a grouse hunter is somebody that really enjoys walks but would like to bring lunch home at the same time you know or walk with their dog or you know spend that time and you know um yeah i don't know it uh and i think a lot of grouse hunters are late or later season elk hunters with the rifle I think a lot of that happens as well out there. So, uh, you know, going, a lot of going back to your point real quick too, right. For that, for that first time guy that that's doing that e-scouting that can't get the boots on the ground. Uh, I think it's, mm -hmm. it's very important that you give yourself two or three 
options in terms of what you've selected, right? And they could be a mile oh, apart. Yeah. They could be 10 miles apart because you're going to get to some country. And like you said earlier, right, it's big country. It's steep. It's deep. And you really have to temper uh, and be honest about your capability, right, or, or what you're really going to go through in that country. Now, you know, if you're just doing, you know, you're living four or five days out of your pack, um, you know, I'd expect your fitness to be at a level, but you may know what it is to have a 40, 50, 60 pound pack on your back. But do you know what it is to get that bull out in, in, in pieces, um, you know, with 80 to a hundred pounds on your back. So I think you should have, you should have your outs. If you look at the country and you go, it's too steep. If you don't have another area selected, and you just dive into that area anyway, you, you've, you've kind of hindered yourself right now. You're now you're up against the elk and you're up against yourself in the country. So um, I would, I would really suggest two to three areas. And, you know, again, if they're a mile apart to 10 miles apart to two hours apart, I think it's a very good thing to be honest about your capability and understand what you're looking at and to separate those areas as you're going through them. You know, if you're looking at an area and the contour lines are super tight and everything, you know, looks like it's fairly steep or rugged, uh, you may want to find an area that, that has, you know, more parks and wider spread contours, et cetera, et cetera. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because I think when I was talking about the stages of elk hunting, you know, a lot of people stop at the hunting stage and there's still two more stages. There's the packing stage getting that animal recovery, getting that animal out of there. There's after the shot and then the recovery and then getting that animal out of there. And then there's the processing stage after that as well. So there's, I mean, it's a full spectrum, you know, from, you know, when you get out there to getting it to the table as well. And I think a lot of people forget to really look at that, that stage of after the shot, man, of being able to recover that animal, knowing how much time to wait and, you know, being able to tell what kind of shot on tracking, um, on uh, uh, knowing what kind of hit that you have. And then once you recover that animal, then breaking that animal da down and being able to get that animal out. Because like you said, man, I mean, when you start to go in, you are not, it's not just about going as deep and steep as you can to kill an animal. You also have to have a plan to get that animal out because it, it's got to be recovered and, want, and you want to recover it so that you get all the meat and get that out and you get it out safely for you as well. A processor or a meat locker uh, is huge, mm -hmm. right? And just to, just to wrap up on that end, um, know where you're hunting, know if there's a processor or a meat locker where, you know, especially if you're with a group, right? And you arrow a bull and it's day two and you got four days left, you know, you don't want to have to worry about ice, for four days uh, and September is September and uh, we see temps from 80s, 90s, you know, down to the 40s. So um, for me, it's, you know, where's a meat locker, where's a processor, you know, within an hour, hour and a half of uh, where we're at. And do you have room? Do you think you'll have room? How do I reserve space? How do I, you know, how do I get this meat to you if I'm on day two and, and my buddy hasn't tagged out and we got four days? Those are those are things that you don't really hear talked about in that process. And I'm glad you brought that up, right? Because if meat's wasting after we arrow that bull or that cow, shame on us. Shame on us. Absolutely, man. 
that I mean, that absolutely. That's how I can say that, that there's so much right in what you just said there. My my wife always used that shame word all the time to make me feel bad about something if I do it. But it, it's it's absolutely, man. I mean, our, our whole goal, our whole responsibility, all the ethics, all the values that go with it is to do everything in our power to, rec- first of all, put a good, clean, quick kill on that animal, then to ensure that we recover that animal, do everything that we can to recover that animal, and then to ensure that we get every bit of that meat, you know, to where it can be part of our harvest and back on our table and shared with our family and friends. That's why we get that tag in the first place. So, you know, um, it's all, all of that encompasses, you know, and, you know, I hear people, it's so funny. I heard, uh, I heard Diego and I love our man, Diego, man, you know, he has that initial ascent pack and he said, you know, he just loves the pack out part of it there, you know, and, and, and that's so true, man. You got to love that part of it because it's part of the process as well. You know, it's, it's all a lot of fun. I don't know how much, uh, I know you want me to come on here and talk about my camp and uh, my base camp and everything like that. But, you know, uh, I, I get talking about elk hunting and, and it's all downhill from there. <laughs> oh dude. I just like, it's just like, you know, and, and it gets me excited. I always enjoy when you and I are bouncing things in and it's always great to find which texture or which rabbit hole or which area, which way we're going to go when we do this. But I know that, I know there's a lot of people just now getting started out that have a lot of questions in their mind. And the thing I want to tell you is, is that there's so much out there, you know, um, guys going to be doing this set of stuff. Now there's, um, all these places to learn and get educated. You know, we mentioned, um, uh, Dirk in the videos, there's so much on YouTube and people are really, I've seen a big change from the whack them and stack them to people that are really showing what it's like in the grind. And that's, that's just really awesome out there. There's educational platforms out there. You know, you got the elk collective. We mentioned Dan Staten earlier in uh in elk shape you have all the stuff that he's doing you've got elk 101 uh you've got uh um mark live say with his uh tree line i mean there is so much and and people are like you know they're like joe why is it that you talk about all these other educational platforms and not and not generally is because look it's not about where you're getting your education guys and gals it's the fact that you are becoming educated and because the more that we make ourselves better hunters out there um with uh and we get our value set and we get our ethics and we get our responsibilities in line then that makes it so much better for us it makes it better for the animal makes it better for other hunters out there and it makes it better for our community and how we present ourselves as well so it to me learn as much as you can from everybody you can and become the best that you can and if that means that you come to the Elk Bros Base Camp, if that means that you're going to Corey's Elk 101, if you're going to Mark, if you're going to Dan, if if you're going to the collective, if you're going to any of these things, that means you're you are doing what you need to do to become better. So that's what I'm all about, man. And and I think everyone, right? And 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 if you listen to Michael, Chris, Dan, oh, and you, I, yeah, I Paul, Chris out there, and I left Michael in right. his Elk Academy. The, Paul everyone, Mandela, everyone has, sorry, man, everyone has the same end goal, right? Is <laughs> to make us better, 
right? And and, and it really is a, a huge service to what we are passionate about when when we can give back to the guys that are coming up or the guys that want to grow and learn more. I mean, for me, you, uh, these, these are my my subscriptions that are renewing. You, Chris, Treeline, Elk Collective, uh, Paul's on his app, um, Michael Batiste. I mean, that's that's a lot of <laughs> that's a lot of subscriptions, right? And I will say that there's there's a lot that is similar. There's a lot that's the same, but it's the pearls, right? So if we have these, if we have these thoughts that are running parallel as you go through these different things, well, that might be what you want to focus on, right? You want to see your success creep up. You might want to focus on those things that are running tangent more than the little offshoots, right? Because everybody has their, you know, they have their differences in terms of how they approach things, right? And there's there's things with Joe's calling that I implemented last year and I saw huge benefit to it, huge, huge benefit to it. Um, you know, just putting the tube under my arm and having a flexible tube and using that as I'm solo or as I'm calling for my shooter and I can't let my shooter, you know, out of my eyesight out because sight, it's so right. thick, right? You're on the um, shoulder, yeah. Yeah, that's huge. So there's there's all these little nuances of, of the individual um, resource that will add to your repertoire, but man, hone in on those things that are running parallel lines and mm -hmm. you'll, you'll get them delivered in different ways. And that's one of the things that's nice. And I'm going to just say it now. That's one of the things that's nice about having so many options, right? Some are primarily reading. You know, if I, when I sit down and, and I'm on Elk Bros, I'm, I'm doing a lot of reading, right? And I'm writing stuff down and I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure out where, where Joe, uh, where Joe is at in X, Y, or Z, whatever it is. And if I'm on the road, I might be on the L collective and letting that play and listening to it or on, you know, uh, Chris Rose is playing as I'm driving. So there's all these things, you know, tree line pursuits. Uh, I have to sit down on the desk or, you know, on the laptop and go through the tree line stuff so I can utilize the maps and, and things like that. So, you know, every one of them has its benefit. Um, you're going to find one that, that, talks to you more for whatever reason. Um, but for me, like get them all, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like get them hey, all. That's what I tell people, man, if you don't have Paul's app uh, on your phone, uh, that's a no brainer, man. I mean, it's a no brainer because it gives you a chance to do things that, and listen to things and do stuff like that in places that you wouldn't be able to do it. And, uh, I mean, there's just, like you said, there's, there's so much out there and, and, you know, as a coach, I was a coach for 34 years and, at all the way up to my last year of coaching, if there was a workshop, if there was a seminar, um, I was at it because what it did for me was it did one of two things. It either confirmed some of the things that I was doing was in line with what I should be doing. Or if I found one nugget, if I found one thing that would help benefit my team in that upcoming year, man, it was worth every moment that I did that. When that so, one thing pays off, you know what I that mean? One that one thing will pay off. And it's just like, Absolutely. whoa, you know, 
Oh. Yeah. How many times you get caught in situations where you're like, oh, what should I have done? And then, you know, you end up talking to one of these guys that you were talking about out there and they they mention something. You're like, where were you man, when that happened to me? Yeah. And it's not it's not a negative. Right. But I want folks to understand, too. Right. YouTube, there's entertainment value and mm-hmm. watching YouTube is great. Right. It gets me pumped up. Um, and. There's entertainment value in that, but if you if you want to commit to this September, you you gotta you gotta get into the educational programs. In my opinion, um, you, you can't know what's rely funny on YouTube. We gotta we gotta because we do we put all of our podcasts on YouTube, and uh, I got a comment the other day from uh, a viewer that that said. Where's the videos of you guys killing animals? <laughs> you know, I, I, you guys are just talking. <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah. So, yeah, some people just don't get it, man. Yeah, because I man, you hear it all the time, right? And again, nothing negative. I, I'm, you know, I consume the mess out of it too. And there's things that I can pick out, like watching this series that that Phelps did. You know, there's things mm-hmm. that I'm picking out, and that's you know, time in the woods. But it's also time spent on like say the elk collective app right and listening right. listening to jason and and dirk talk about their approach and why they do certain things well now i can watch this phenomenal series that they put together and i can and dissect what he's doing now i've yeah. just married the two right i've just yeah. increased my knowledge uh I, yeah I, you're I, not you're not just consuming anymore you're not just consuming. You're not, you're, you're just not a, a ride along. You're a participant. Yeah. No, That's the whole it's difference. huge, man. So we don't want to get too crazy here. Um, base camp, let them know where they uh-huh. can find it. Uh, how do they go about it? Where do they start? Et cetera, et cetera. Everything is at elkbros.com. You can find all of our videos. We have some stories there. Um, we have uh, all of our links to the podcast, our academies there, connections to our uh, elk hunting buddy site, where if you're looking for an elk hunter um, buddy, they'll be able to hunt with. We got some people that are using that um, as well. What's up, bud? I, no, I got a guy that reached out to me a couple of days ago and, uh-huh. uh, He's he's looking for uh, someone, so I will. I'm going to point him in that direction. Yeah, I mean that that's uh, an opportunity to, to learn about some other people that have the same value systems or 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 the same um, profile as what you do to be able to hunt with. So we have that happening there, and you know our academy right now is uh, four modules. Our goal is to get that up to our base camp is up to eight to twelve. Uh, I've been. You know, uh, COVID did a lot and, uh, you know, with, a lot, with a lot, everything that was happening and putting out all this free content, now I've been very diligently working. The next one that's coming out is on finding elk, and I'm really excited about that. I think that's going to be something that a lot of people are going to want. And, you know, if you haven't been to our base camp, man, it's very extensive. There's a lot involved in it. There's a lot of interactivity. There's a lot of learning modes in there. I really want this to be something that I'm real proud of. So um, it's a continual work in progress, man. We keep building that plane as we're flying it. Cool, man. Well, brother, I appreciate the time. I'll probably be talking to you in the next day or so. Get back on with the old Jimbo there. Uh, yeah. But no, man, I appreciate it. We'll kick this year off right. And hopefully this uh, shed some light on uh, folks' pursuit, man, getting into the new year in this uh, September of 2022. Well, we got to hunt together, bro. 
doesn't know is happening. <laughs> hey, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, buddy. Peace, peace.